We're on BustWatch on today's episode of Fantasy Football in 15, taking a look at players we believe are overpriced. Hello everyone and welcome into Fantasy Football in 15 for Tuesday, July 28th. I am Michael Beller. I am joined by Derek Van Riper. Today is the day that the football players are beginning to show up at their training camps. They're going to get tested a couple of times over these next few days and if all goes well there then we can start daily testing and the beginning of at least a somewhat normal training camp, something that we are used to seeing. Uh, DVR, how you doing today? I'm doing okay, Beller. Hanging in there. How about you? Yeah, feel the same. Obviously, not great news uh, in the baseball world uh, from Monday, so hopefully uh, we can figure out a way and find a way to get things a little bit back on track. On today's episode of Fantasy Football in 15, we are going to look at the top of fantasy football drafts, at least as they are constructed right now, and talk about some players that we're not actually excited about taking early on, players that we're going to be avoiding, and we are using our colleague Emery Hunt's column on this very topic as a jumping-off point, Emery, of course, a college football player himself, a guy who knows the X's and O's of the game very well. And Emery has six players, Derek, who he has pulled out as being guys who he is avoiding. These are all guys going early in drafts. I'm going to read the six names and then give me one who you think is interesting, whether you agree with Emery, disagree with Emery, whatever it might be, just the one that jumps out at you. The six guys are Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, Kareem Hunt, Austin Eckler, Chris Godwin, and David Johnson. So Austin Eckler sort of jumps out just because the price is very high. I mean, Miles Sanders goes a little earlier. I think Sanders is the earliest any player in Emory's article consistently goes. But with Austin Eckler, at a glance, you think, oh, Melvin Gordon's gone, so Eckler's going to get more touches, and this is his first opportunity to be a feature back for a full season, so everything's going to go well. Where I think we have to be a little bit careful is assuming that more volume will lead to a lot more production. Like, sure, the extra touches, even if efficiency goes down, could lead Eckler to what could be his best season ever by far. I think so much of his value comes from what he does as a pass catcher, though. 92 catches, 993 yards, and 8 touchdowns through the air he might not need to do a lot more on the ground. But if you're not playing in a full PPR league, everything kind of went right for him last year. I mean, eight receiving touchdowns for a running back is pretty unusual. That seems almost certain to fall back into the three to four range. And uh, I realized like he was catching a lot fewer passes in 2017 and 2018 than he did a year ago. So maybe he's like a five to six TD guy through the air, but his numbers on the ground were just kind of okay. Last year, 4.2 yards per carry, not a lot of big plays on the ground. Twenty, He had four carries of 20-plus yards out of 132 carries last season. So we didn't really see explosiveness in that facet of the game. We know the Chargers have had some trouble on the offensive line. And then the offense as a whole. You know, Tyrod Taylor, I think, is going to be a capable NFL starter. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. But will this offense be as good as it was with Rivers? Will it actually take a step back? If it takes a step back opportunities to score in general are going to go down for this Chargers offense. So I think when you're talking about a player who goes in the top 15 overall, no later than the back of the top 20, there is quite a bit of risk with Austin Eckler, especially if you step away from a full PPR format. 
Yeah, this is one that I agreed with Emery, and clearly I agree with you too. Austin Eckler is going to be a guy who I think is probably on zero of my teams this season because the discount's just not going to be there. And this is nothing against Austin Eckler, the player. I love Austin Eckler, the player. I had him on quite a few teams last year. I had him on a team that went to the championship last year, and he was a huge part of that. But a big part of that was that you were able to get him in the seventh or eighth round in a typical 12-team league last year, and that's just not the case this season. And Emery has a very key uh, line in his write-up on Eckler. In the little blurb he put together for Eckler, he says, sometimes the best role is the role that you thrive in. And I think that is a key point for a guy like Austin Eckler. You read off the numbers that he put up last year, 993 yards on 92 catches, eight touchdowns as a receiver. And they don't want to take that away from him. So I don't even know how much more they could really give him in the run game. And if they do give him more in the run game, does that come at the expense of what he does as a receiver? I don't want that to happen. I want him to have the role he had last year, and he probably maximized what that role can realistically be. So I think it's hard to look at what he did last year and see him building on that in any meaningful way. And if he was going to give us the season uh, that he gave us last year, then that would be okay. But the point you make about Philip Rivers and Tyrod Taylor is key here. I think this is uh, maybe the player in all of the NFL who's hurt the most by his quarterback change. Austin Eckler had a really special thing with Philip Rivers, and Keenan Allen did too, for that matter. But you really think that a quarterback of Rivers' ilk, a guy who is uh, very quick to get the ball out, a guy who is uh, has always been a very accurate quarterback in his career, and a guy who is not going to run the ball at all himself, a guy who is not going to make too many things happen with his legs, that is perfect for a pass-catching back like Austin Eckler. Tyrod Taylor is a much different guy. He's a guy who wants to take shots down the field. He's a guy who is going to try to make things happen with his legs because, hey, he can make things happen with his legs, and he hasn't been the most accurate quarterback in his career. I think this is a significant downgrade for Austin Eckler, and that is just not being priced into uh, his value whatsoever. So even as much as I love the player, I think he finds himself in a much worse situation this year than he did a year ago when he took the fantasy world by storm. Another guy in Emery's column who I actually disagree with him on is Josh Jacobs. I think Josh Jacobs is primed to build on what he did as a rookie last year, and it seems that there's a lot of forgetfulness happening across the fantasy industry about just how hampered Jacobs was by his shoulder issue a season ago. Played 13 games, give you 1,150 yards and seven touchdowns. Did this on a middling Raiders team that was contending for a little bit of a playoff berth in the midseason, but really fell off as the season went along. And even when they were at their height, not exactly an offensive show being put on by the Raiders last season. And still, Josh Jacobs, as a rookie, was able to do all that he did dealing with the shoulder injury. And when you and I talked to Vic Tafer, one of our Raiders beat writers, this was probably about six weeks ago now when we were going through our State of the Team series here on this show, he said that he believes that a huge part of the reason why Jacobs was so uninvolved in the passing game last year was because they knew they had to limit his touches because of the shoulder issue and that if they were going to limit his touches, they wanted to focus those touches on the run game. He had just 27 targets, caught 20 of those for 166 yards, didn't find the end zone as a receiver, but Vic was telling us that he thinks now that Jacobs is fully healthy that they're going to find a way to get him significantly more involved in the passing game last year. And if you take last year's rushing level as a floor, which I think is fair, DVR, I mean, I don't think Jalen Richard or anyone is going to take away too much from what Josh Jacobs does on the ground. If you take that as a floor and bump him up even just 50% 
in the receiving game, then you have a very good, very high floor locked in RB1 on a Raiders team that I think we have reason to believe is going to be a little bit better and a little bit more dangerous offensively this season. So I really think that Josh Jacobs is someone who deserves that high for, or late first, early second round draft status that we've seen him have so far through July. Yeah, I mean, it's a volume game, but being efficient with heavy volume is key. Josh Jacobs did that as a rookie, breaks a lot of tackles. I mean, 84.7% positive run percentage last year. He averaged over 20 touches per game. Uh, does everything you're looking for except for that pass catching, and there's reason to believe he can do it. And you have to wonder if the specific nature of that injury, with it being a shoulder injury, if that also played a role into it too. If you have a shoulder problem, getting your hands up to make catches is actually a little bit more difficult too. I like the fact that they really didn't change anything significant in the backfield personnel. There's really no competition for carries. And as you said, with a few of the additions they made to that group of pass catchers, that could improve the offense just a little bit as well. So those opportunities to find the end zone could just be uh, slightly elevated in the 2020 Raiders offense. So I'm with you on Jacobs. All right, be sure to check out Emery's column. We'll throw a link to it in the show description here. Uh, Derek, let's move on to a couple of our own guys who we are avoiding early on in drafts. We'll go to you first here. Who's someone who you see going, let's say, top uh, 20, 25 or so at least? It could be it could be Christian McCaffrey if you want it to be. It doesn't have to reach down to 20 or 25. Something tells me it's not Christian McCaffrey, though, but someone who you are avoiding uh, in those first two rounds or so of a typical 10 or 12-team league. Yeah, right now, I'm not going anywhere near Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at the price. And I think you and I agree on this. I think our friend Jake Seeley is on the completely opposite side, really kind of pushing Hilaire as someone who, Edwards-Hilaire, someone who should be a first-round pick. And I just don't see it happening. I think it does discount Damian Williams. I think that's something you and I have talked about, at least briefly, on this show already. I think this is a difficult year for rookies in general. There weren't mini camps, so the fact that everything's being done on Zoom is different. And having to pick everything up that way as opposed to getting on the field and having a lot of those extra reps, I think that at least impacts pretty much everybody in the rookie class to some extent when the season begins. I think the case for Edwards Hilaire is that he's so explosive that he can share work and still be really good. That's true. Like I believe in the skills, but I don't draft a player like that in the late part of round two. His ADP in July in the NFFC is inside the top 25 overall. So unless something happens and Williams suffers an injury and Edwards Hilaire has a path to being an every down back between now and the start of the season, I don't think I'm going to have him anywhere, at least in, in redraft leagues. Maybe in a keeper league, I'd pay a little extra because the long-term value is going to be there. You do wonder at 5'7", 207", is he ever going to be a guy that's a 300-touch player? I think that's a fair question to ask. He was heavily used last year, of course, at LSU. I think he had a combined 270 touches over 15 games. Um, no doubts about the skills whatsoever. Love that the offense has a lot of other weapons, but I think that almost works against him, too. I think that limits the number of opportunities he's going to have to get valuable touches around the red zone and to be a guy that returns early round value throughout his entire rookie season. And we might be talking about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as a guy who gets off to a slow start. Most of his fantasy owners struggle to make the playoffs, and then he goes off late in the year. That could easily be the narrative. I think it's going to be really difficult to make the fantasy playoffs if you spend a second-round pick on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. That's the problem for me. 
We are in 100% lockstep there, which you already knew before you said that. I just don't understand the price tag. Damian Williams was very good last year. We all watched the last few weeks of the regular season in the playoffs, didn't we, and saw what Damian Williams was able to do in that Chiefs offense. I don't see any way that he is marginalized early in the season. And even if it it works out in a sort of Miles Sanders in 2019 way uh, for Edwards Hilaire, where his role builds slowly but surely throughout the season – Damian Williams isn't going away. This is never going to be a 70-30 backfield split in favor of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And again, in our State of the Team series, which is why those were so useful and they're all still archived. You can go listen to them. They all still hold with what we talked about with our beat writers to this day. Nate Taylor said that he was estimating uh, something in the neighborhood of a 70-30 split in favor of Damian Williams for at least the first half of the season, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is being drafted as though he is going to be the surefire RB1 in Kansas City, and that's just not anywhere near the case, so I don't understand how that draft price is staying so high. I think it ultimately is going to have to come down in a significant way. I am sticking at the running back position. This is sort of accidentally a running back heavy show. We start with Eckler, we go to Josh Jacobs, you mentioned Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, which hey, Three guys in the same division, too. So how about that? I'm going to go out of this AFC West, move over to the AFC North, and throw Joe Mixon at you. This is someone who I really have no interest in at his draft day price. We are talking about a late first-round pick you're going to have to spend on Joe Mixon. NFFC ADP since July 1st of 8.74. That makes him the eighth pick in a typical draft sandwiched in between Derrick Henry and Miles Sanders. And... I don't know, DVR. I just don't see it. I mean, I know that he has been on three bad Cincinnati teams in his career, and there's really nothing worse for a running back than being part of a bad team. Uh, But still, he had 278 carries last year. He didn't hurt for opportunities. Maybe he didn't have a great team. Didn't necessarily have the best offensive line in front of him. Jonah Williams, of course, their first-round pick from last year, had to sit out the entire season due to injury, but still got 278 carries, turned it into 1,137 yards and five touchdowns, just barely more than four yards per carry. We're talking about a 4.2 yard per carry average over his career. Got a little bit more involved uh, in the passing game over the last two years than when you look back at his rookie year, but just 30 catches, 43 catches, 35 catches, never more than 300 receiving yards in a season in his career yet. And it just doesn't seem that this Cincinnati team is all that interested in turning him into a 300 carry, 60 target back. And that is almost what you're asking out of him with that draft price. And as long as Giovanni Bernard is there, he's going to have a significant role in the passing game. you got a healthy A.J. Green coming back this season. Tyler Boyd has emerged for them. So two good receiving options to contend with in Cincinnati. I just don't see him being anything more than about a 40 target back. And again, you look at who he's going alongside. He's got Derrick Henry, who just led the league in rushing. And if you go back a year and a half, has clearly been the best pure runner in the NFL. You've got Miles Sanders coming after him, who now has Philadelphia's backfield entirely to himself and could be on a touch share basis that equates him with Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, guys like that. You've got Devontae Adams after that, who I think has a strong argument to be the number one fantasy receiver, even ahead of Michael Thomas. And that's no knock on Michael Thomas. That just shows you how good Devontae Adams has been over the last few years and the status he has in Green Bay. I just can't see taking 
Joe Mixon over any of those guys. And this asks you to take him over at least one, if not two or three of those guys. It just feels like way, way, way too high a price tag based on what we've seen from him over three years now. We do not have an insignificant sample of Joe Mixon in the NFL. We've seen this now for three years, and it just feels like we're asking way too much of fantasy owners to buy in at this price. Well, I do like that in 2018, he almost had five yards of carry, 4.9 yards per attempt on the ground. He's caught more than 40 passes in a season before, stayed healthy for all 16 games, and really started to put it together down the stretch. I think the offensive line issues were real. You know, Having Joe, Joe Burrow under center changes the entire offense. I think Joe Mixon, if he were going at 18 instead of 8, I would like him. At 8, I'm passing on some players I like better. I think you're still assuming a lot of growth for the offense as a whole, if you're drafting Mixon in that spot. So he's not necessarily an avoid completely, but he has to fall a little bit for me to go ahead and, and take on that opportunity. I don't see Giovanni Bernard as much of a threat, so I think we could see uh, one more level yet from Joe Mixon as a pass catcher. We saw a handful of three and four catch games late in the year last year. So if he's catching three to four passes a week, that gives him a shot at maybe getting to 50 receptions, be a career high. The TD should jump up a little bit as well. So I think I like him more than you do, but I also am not necessarily drafting him at eight overall, which is that current ADP. All right, well, we'll have to see if that ADP slips and maybe we can revisit Joe Mixon on a show a little bit later in the summer. But we can't talk about him anymore today because we are out of time for today's show of Fantasy Football in 15. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. We would greatly appreciate it. And hey, if you want to read that Emery Hunt column, you're going to need to be a subscriber. If you are not a subscriber, get yourself 40% off your first year subscription if you go to theathletic.com slash football in 15. For DVR, I am Michael Beller. Fantasy Football in 15. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.